Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Good. We are in our Family Values series, and actually we are winding down. We're on our second to last value. Um, If you haven't been here for this series, we basically are just doing it because we want to be the people that the Bible calls us to be, and we want to be the church that God has called us to be. And so we're basically taking biblical values and putting good shepherd language to it. All of the values that we've covered so far have had church body implications, right? What happens here on a Sunday morning or in your small groups, that kind of thing. But they've also had personal implications. Last week, Austin talked about we are compelled to create. And so for the church, that means we're going to make beautiful things. We've got this beautiful light has come display and Caden writes songs and the team is working on expanding writing songs, all those things. We're compelled to create here as a church. But I also hope that you walked away from last week feeling um, empowered to innovate and to create in your world personally. And so today I hope that you can clearly see the implications for the church as a whole in this uh, value, but also personally, because both are so vital. So as Austin said, we are talking about encounter over entertainment today. Of course, I was thinking about that a lot this week and just how I can illustrate it best to you all. And as most of you know, Austin and I have three kids uh, um, Harrison, not Austin, is our middle child. He's eight years old, and dude wants to play in the NFL. But it's not really looking good for him because he probably eats like 600 calories a day. He is really going through like a picky eating phase. And so um, we'll sit down to dinner. He'll promise up and down that he's full after like five bites of the stir fry that we've made for him. And then we clean everything up, the kitchen's all put back together, and sure enough, he's hungry again, right? Except this time, he wants popcorn that Austin's making, or he wants ice cream or a granola bar that tastes better than the stir-fry that we made for him, right? And it would be so easy to just say, yes, go ahead, have the granola bar, go for it. But we know that it's a lot of times better for him If we say, no, you can't have nerd clusters as a snack, have a carrot, right? I care about your, the vitamins that you're getting and the protein and all of that stuff. And we can all relate to that, right? It's not just parents. We all try and choose things that are healthier for us at times rather than just what tastes good. There are times that it would be easier for Austin to feed you all ice cream from this pulpit to say things that make you feel good, that bring you comfort, not a lot of conviction. It would be easier for Caden to do King of Kings and Living Hope on an every other week basis because we know you love that song, those songs and you will go bonkers for them. It would be easier for Taylor to have a pizza and game night every single Tuesday and Wednesday. It'd be easier for Garrick to just do dodgeball every Sunday that he has your elementary students. I'm sure my kids would prefer it. 
And it would be easier for D to do a PJ movie day every Sunday with your preschoolers. But because we value those preschoolers hearing from the Holy Spirit himself that says you are a loved child of God. Because we value your elementary students experiencing the comforter when we all weren't the parents that we wanted to be this week. Because we value your students encountering the Prince of Peace when the rest of the world is overwhelming and giving them so much pressure. And because we value all of you experiencing the Redeemer when you did the thing that you promised you wouldn't do again. We won't settle for those other things. We have a culture here that we won't just entertain you. Even though entertainment is fun, you should know that we want more for you. We want all of us to come in here expectant that God wants to commune with us and speak with us. And it might take a little bit of effort, and it actually might take a lot of effort. But we believe that there will be a return in maturity and love for the person of God if we seek encounter over entertainment. Ultimately, we want this church to be a church so fascinated with the person of God, so dependent and desperate for the presence of God, that nothing can rival our heart's affection and pursuit of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and speak to each person that's in these seats today? We long to be with you. We long to uh, stir up our love and affection for you, that our fascination and passion and zeal would be for you and you alone. Holy Spirit, come. Would you come, speak through me, and speak to our hearts. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, encounter over entertainment. Let's take a second to kind of define what we mean by those terms. Encounter is a kind of meeting or experience. For today's purpose, it's with the person of the Holy Spirit. You guys know he's a person, right? He's not some force uh, from Star Wars. He's not an ethereal thing. He is a person and he has a will and he can speak to us and... Um, we can be in fellowship with him. As opposed to entertainment, which is an activity primarily designed to give enjoyment or amusement to an audience. Encounter is active. It requires participation and it asks beforehand, God, what do you want to do today? Whereas entertainment is passive. It requires minimum effort and it afterwards asks the question, did I like it? Entertainment is the air that we breathe in this culture. It's the video on TikTok that you can scroll past if it doesn't catch your attention in the first three seconds. It's the Spotify account that has no ads that you can go straight to the song that you want to listen to, listen to your favorite minute and a half, and then go to the next one. It's going to a movie theater reclining at the perfect position for two hours with a button that's just ready to give you more popcorn or a refill or whatever snack you might want. And then we leave analyzing every detail of the experience. 
Entertainment is so fun. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But it's a problem when it competes with our affection for the things of God and when it spills over into our attitudes about church or small groups or other things that don't exist for your enjoyment. I think it can also be a problem when we use it as a means of escape. It distracts us from the guilt of our sin, from the rift in a relationship or the anxiety that we have about work. How easy is it to just pull out your phone and just mindlessly scroll through Instagram for a little bit and forget the rest of the world? Encounter, however, is always a solution. It's the moment in church that the pastor delivers the perfect a word that the Holy Spirit says, yes, you've been thinking that way, and he calls us to change. It's the daily prayer and Bible reading that actually gives me the proper perspective about my sin and the anxiety about work and the rift in the relationship. It's the safe haven that we're supposed to come to for rest and comfort that we often turn to entertainment for. It's where we find answers to life's toughest questions, my identity and my purpose in this life and to the life to come. Meeting with the Holy Spirit, communing with him, speaking with him. It might look like grand moments here at the church in worship where we all are just pressing in and the manifest presence of God falls on this place. I feel like that's kind of a churchy phrase, right? Manifest presence. And depending on your background, that might be a little bit kind of intimidating to you. And so I just wanted to explain what we mean by that. God is omnipresent, right? He is everywhere at all times. Psalm 139 says, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And so he's everywhere at all times. But there are times that God chooses to descend on his people and make him, his presence a reality to his people. He might choose to do that to our physical minds and bodies, but sometimes it's to our heart and our spirit. And so at the times of his choosing, the spirit manifests his presence and the theological knowledge that we know about him becomes experiential knowledge. So sometimes that happens powerfully when a group of people come together in unity and we come for who he is, not just what he can do for us. And it's a good gift that he gives, but it doesn't take being in this building to experience his presence. Sometimes it's the equally significant moment in your bed before you get up, that the Holy Spirit just speaks to you exactly what you need. I had probably one of the top two most significant encounters in my life with God um, a little over a year ago. It was a Sunday morning. Austin had already left for church. And so I had the king bed to myself and it was glorious. <laughs> and God gave me a vision. See, about two months prior, I had come up here and preached for the first time. And that came after really years of praying about it, um, just asking Lord, the Lord if this is what he wanted from me. But Good Shepherd had long had the stance that women, with the oversight of a man, um, 
was not contradictory. Preaching from this from the pulpit was not contradictory to the sum of God's word. And so, of course, it's a little different when it's yourself, right? And so Austin and I did a lot of praying and a lot of researching people who were smarter and uh, more experienced than both of us. And we really felt settled that this was a good idea. But it was sobering when I came up and people walked out because I was a woman. Austin had a lot of coffee uh, times that next week about the subject, and a lot of it was from really well-meaning people genuinely asking, is this okay? And so I came to God a little bit confused. God, I thought that you had asked me to do this, but this couldn't be what you had in mind. The disunity in the body can't be um, really what you were hoping for. I'm not that good of a speaker. Um, and so I told the lead team and Austin, I, I don't know if I'm going to preach again. I don't know if it's worth it. I need an encounter with God. And I need him to confirm in his word and in my heart that this is what he wants me to do. And so it was that Sunday morning and I'm laying in bed and I had this picture of myself and I was uh, speaking to another person, but it was kind of an x-ray uh, look. It was a little bit robotic, but I could see all of our bones. And in my core, I could see a fire burning. And I said to this person, I feel like if I don't get this fire out, it's going to burn me from the inside. And then I started speaking and fire came out. And so I, I mean, I came out of that kind of like, okay, I think that was God. I think that he uh, is wanting to tell me something through that, but I went down to the couch and I opened up just my daily Bible reading plan. And I was in Jeremiah 20 and I came across Jeremiah 20 verse 9, where it says, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary with holding it in and I cannot. That, yeah, I, I, had never heard that verse before. And it's amazing how once you hear it, like you hear it everywhere. But I was like, that is an amazing verse. I've never heard that before. God spoke to me. It was exactly what I needed. And it, he made it personal for me. I knew in my head that I, we believed it was okay, but I needed him to encounter me. And he answered me. A moment with the Holy Spirit can change everything. An encounter with the living, breathing God can change anything for you. And so now I'm not the same. I, it's, I honestly, it holds a different weight if people leave because I'm up here, because I know that God has called me to it. I know some of the stories in this room, and there's doubt, and there's heartbreak, and there's confusion and despair, but always the answer to those things is an encounter with the living God. Entertainment keeps you wanting more, maybe feeling happy for a moment, but as soon as you return to your circumstances, you're back to feeling discouraged and hopeless and unsatisfied just as you were before. But encounters with God leave you filled with purpose, with hope, with joy and contentment. Isn't it amazing that we would choose entertainment, and we all do, myself included, over an encounter with the living God. 
So what does it look like? How do we actually choose encounter over entertainment? James 4, 4 through 8 is where we're going to be. It's going to be our home verse for the rest of the morning. It says, you adulterous people. Here comes the broccoli, okay? (laughs) Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The first way we become people who choose encounter over entertainment is that we have to reject friendship with the world. We have to reject it. This verse tells us we can't be friends with God and be friends with the world at the same time. We can't serve two masters. We have one way of life, one choice of how we're going to live. And it's either going to be the world's methodology right? Using the world's currency of money and power and comfort, or it's going to be Christ, surrendering all of that to God, willingly forsaking everything that this world has to offer for him. Now, John 3, 16, we heard it earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's not that we don't love the people. We can and we should, but we have to be careful not to love the ways of the world. There is a way of life that feels normal to Christians, where we are living in both friendship with the world and friendship with Christ. We want both, but the Bible is clear that it doesn't work that way. There should be a clear difference in the way that you live versus your non-Christian friends and your non-Christian family. The way you view money, the way you view your relationships, your body, your goals— All of that should look vastly different from the ways of the world. This idea that we can give our life to Christ and not have implications of what that looks like. Here we see in this verse, it's cheating on God just as much as a wife or a husband who's unfaithful is cheating on their spouse. And it makes us God's enemy. If I can boil it down this way, it's that we are as close to God as we choose to be. Our decisions in life will either make us a friend of God or an enemy. If we want to have encounters with him, if we want to hear from him, if we want friendship with him, we have to make choices to starve our flesh so that we're hungry for him. And we have to make choices to spend ourselves for our coworkers, even though we know that nothing's going to be coming in return. We have to choose to spend our money on ornaments that rescue children out of trafficking rather than another pair of jeans. That one's for me. (laughs) I'm right with you. Every area, we need to choose obedience. And God calls us into a deeper, more intimate friendship with him when we do that. There's lots of different kinds of friends, right? There's friends that knock on the door and wait to be let in. There's friends that 
say knock, knock as they're opening the door, right? There's friends that are sitting on your couch with the TV on when you walk into the house. And then there's even a further friendship that I was talking with uh, someone recently, and she said her closest friends, she goes upstairs into the laundry room, invites them, and does her laundry while she's hanging out with her friends. That is a close friend. And we want to be that friend, that intimate, close friendship with God. And so every choice that we make is drawing us into a deeper relationship with him. The phrase, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. It's basically saying that you have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, God, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of you. And so he takes it very personally when your, his temple, your body, your mind, your soul are going from worshiping him to idolizing your stuff or communing with him and pouring out praises to him and reading his word and then setting parameters about what you're willing to give up for him. His desire is that we would be in this camp 100% of the time. There are more riches of his glory and satisfaction and wisdom and joy than we could possibly imagine here in this other camp. But the good news is, verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He knows that we're not going to be perfect at this. We are human and we're in this wrestle. And so when we make a mistake, when we fall short of staying in this camp, 100% of the time we come to him humbly and we will be met with grace. The second way that we um, choose encounter over entertainment is that we resist the devil. Of course, the devil would love for you to be friends with the world and not with God. There's this uh, saying that I couldn't find the author of this week, but it says, Satan doesn't need you to worship him. He just needs you to worship anything other than God. And so he gets to think, he gets you to thinking about me, myself, and I, what I want right now and nothing else. And he loves to do that here at church. He would love for you to believe that church is a spectator sport, that you don't need to engage with the people around you, that you don't need to give your money to an organization, that you don't need to uh, volunteer your time to be with messy, donut-covered kids. Because what about brunch, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm with you. I love brunch as much as the next person. But... If we believe that this is a spectator sport, we're missing out. How many of us kind of see Austin as this, like, you're supposed to share the gospel, right? I don't want to share the gospel. That's awkward. And I have to work with those people every day. And what if it doesn't go well? Isn't that what we're paying him for? <laughs> I shared what I felt like was my call to vocational ministry. Don't forget that you all have been called to be ministers as well. 
Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by, well, let's see, I lost it, sorry, by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You are called to be a part of the ministry. You are called to be a part of this church, working and growing and engaging and moving. It's so tempting to see Caden and Maddie and the rest of the worship team as the worshipers. They're doing the worshiping. And Austin does the preaching and the prayer team does the praying. And we all just kind of sit and stand back and watch it happen. Because this is so our culture in America, we have to be active in our fight against it. And we have to be active in our fight against the kingdom of darkness that wants to see you stagnant in your faith, that wants to keep you from having life-changing moments with God, and wants to keep you from being the, rec the minister of reconciliation that God has called you to be. And so here on a Sunday morning, we will choose to be excellent. We will work hard to take away as many distractions as we can possibly do because we know the enemy uses them to keep us from engaging. But if you find yourself constantly criticizing, oh man, I didn't really like the songs that they picked this morning. I, gee, I wish they had a Saturday night service that we could go to. I wish you did communion differently. I wonder if you've let that entertainment attitude creep into your view of church and you've chosen that over encountering God. He is still on the throne despite what's happening with the lights up here, right? He's still worthy of our worship no matter what songs we're doing. But we will have to fight to engage. We have to choose to stop thinking about the fight that happened on the way here. We might have to choose to set the coffee cup down so we can free up our hands for worship. We have, may have to share something vulnerable at small group or offer to pray for someone if you want to take it deeper. Encountering God requires you to be active which takes us to point number three, draw near to God. Drawing near to God takes initiative. We said encounter is active. You have to actually do something. Could God knock you upside the head with a profound encounter? Absolutely. But I think if we look at the whole uh, scripture, we see that he wants to be wanted. He wants to be pursued. Just like any relationship, right? We want to be wanted. Austin and I's anniversary is this weekend, and um, he kind of said, he said earlier this month, 
hey, would you plan the anniversary date? And I was kind of like, oh, yes, I probably should have done that before sometime. Like I, I could feel the like, yeah, I've kind of been slacking on that. Just like any relationship, it requires effort. It requires doing something. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If you want to be friends with God, you have to ask. You have to seek and knock and mean it with as much of your heart as you can muster. And the good news is that as soon as you draw near to him, he's ready to draw closer to you. I want to take a, a moment to encourage some of you. You've been asking. You've been seeking and knocking for a long time, and you're waiting for the breakthrough. You're waiting for the, the words on the page of your Bible to jump out and mean something. You're waiting for breakthrough from the sin that just you're ready to get rid of. God is pleased with you. He's pleased with your grace-driven effort. Keep going. He will draw near to you. Number four, he'll draw near to you. This is a promise. Matthew, or I'm sorry, James 4, 8 says, and he will draw near to you. God always keeps his promises. Matthew 7 says, for the second part of it, says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's Christmas, right? We're, we're thinking about gifts isn't it just the best when you know exactly what your loved one wants and you get the exact thing that they want and you know you nailed it, they're going to love it? How much more does our Father, who is kind and loving, want to give you good gifts? And how much more does he want to give you himself when that's what you're asking for? He longs to be close to you. He longs to meet with you. The end of the prodigal son story, I think, is one of the most clear demonstrations of God's disposition towards us. If you don't know the story, there was a man and he had two sons. And one of them wanted his inheritance early. And so he took all of the money, he went off, he squandered it in reckless living and women. And he gets, um, he gets hungry because there's a famine and he has no money. And so he's working with pigs. Even the pig's food looks good to him. We'll pick up in verse 15. But when he came to himself, he said, oh, this is Luke 15, verse, verse 15. <laughs> Sorry about that. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Whether you see yourself as the younger son coming in every Sunday, maybe feeling guilty about what you've done the night before or the week before or a long time ago, and you're saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is his response to you. While he was a long way off, he did see that he was he was coming, right? It's not like he chased him down, but he saw that his son was coming towards him and he ran after him. He wants to be close to you. Maybe you see yourself as the older son and you've spent lots of time with God. The, the reminder for us this morning is that God's saying, all that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. God gives us direct access to himself. The veil was torn when Jesus was on the cross. And so we don't have to go through rituals and steps to come in. We don't have to knock and wonder if he wants us to come in. We boldly come into the throne room, believing that we have full access to God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that we have full access to God's presence and friendship when we come in here and when we come to our prayer and Bible reading. I'm going to read our value for this. When we step into the building, we are not here to consume. We're here to contribute. We know that he's worthy of our worship, if, even if he never does another thing for us. He's worthy of our sacrifice. Worship that costs nothing is worth nothing. The tangible presence and power of God is available to every person at every age. And so we cultivate environments and moments where he can be encountered. We are spirit-filled, empowered people who have heard his voice and have been in his presence. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, would you just continue to awaken our hearts for passion and zeal for you? for your presence, Lord. We, this is what we need, is more of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Thank you for the good gift of the Holy Spirit. That because you came, died on the cross, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, we now get to have your presence with us always. Would you empower us as we go throughout our week? 
to choose you, to resist uh, temptation from the enemy, from the world that wants to uh, have our affection. Would you be the source alone of our affection? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.